Well, we all know how important it is to have the right equipment. Whether it is the tool to do a job that you've been tasked with or needing the right equipment to participate in a sporting event, there are certain things that you need to perform a task correctly. This is just a simple fact. I think we've all been in the middle of a project and discovered that we are either missing an essential part of the project or we're missing an essential tool. Perhaps you're a parent who has gotten to the spring softball or baseball season and discovered that your child has grown more than you realized. And now you not only need to buy new cleats, but amazingly enough, the, feet grew to, or the, the hands grew along with the feet and you need a new glove. You need certain things to be equipped. Well, maybe you have embarked on a journey and you didn't have the materials that you needed or found that you left something important at home. What you are intending to do is not easy when you're not equipped for the task that is set before you. Well, perhaps you feel as though you're not equipped to do what God has called you to do as a believer in the Lord Jesus. You know the call that you have, but you don't feel as though you are equipped to do it. Well, what we have seen in Hebrews is the story of how God has done everything for his people. He has brought us to himself through the death of Jesus and blessed us abundantly in him. And so as we finish up, we're going to see a final charge that the author of Hebrews gives as a benediction for the people of God. And so as we go through this passage, we're going to see two themes develop this morning. The first one is that we are to lift up leadership in the Christian community. God ordains people to be in positions of leadership for a purpose. These positions are not positions of power, but positions of servanthood that he puts in place to shepherd the people of God. And secondly, we're going to see that God cares for us so that we might serve him to bring glory to his holy name. We have earthly shepherds, but Jesus is our great shepherd, and he has cared for us in all that we do so that we might be able to live a life that will glorify God. And so with those two themes isolated for us, we're going to start out by looking at the first theme in verses 17 through 19 of chapter 13. And as we land in these verses, we see, we see some words that we balk at in our day. Obey and submit. Now we've seen these two words in other parts of the New Testament together, haven't we? And when we were looking at those passages, I pointed out the struggle that we have with those words. For us, when we hear the word obey, and we think, well, Somebody's saying that we have to do everything without question, do whatever this person says. We assume that we are under their thumb. That's how we hear that word obey. And we also assume that anyone who would want us to obey them in that way is in a position of oppression. 
And we see submission in much the same way, right? It's likely, and I'm guessing I'm right on this, that the most common use of the word maybe in our modern culture, that word submission is used most often in mixed martial arts, where you get someone in a hold and you twist their arm or their leg until they submit. It's known as a submission hold. And so once again, that's probably where you hear the word the most in our culture. And again, it is a term of oppression. It is a term of pain, right? But we have to fight off those modern ideas and understand what the author of Hebrews is actually expressing to us here. Christian leaders are under-shepherds of the good shepherd. The goal here is for our good. And notice the language that is being used. These people are keeping watch over your souls. They're not trying to oppress you. They're not trying to take advantage of you. They're not trying to force you to do anything. They're most certainly not just lording a position of power over you and feeling a sense of authority. If a Christian leader is doing that, well, then they are not in conformity to the Word of God. They are in disobedience. And the idea here is that the Christian leader is first obeying and submitting themselves. They show that example by obeying and submitting to Christ. They are obeying Christ, and they're putting themselves in submission to the Word of God as their only standard for faith and practice. And the ultimate goal here is that the person in a position of Christian leadership is living their life in step with the Word of God, and therefore they are in step with the Spirit. And so we notice the gravity of what is being said here. This is not something that those in this position are to take lightly, because it says here that they will have to give account. Christian leadership does not just have you barking out random orders and people need to do what you say. The goal is to guide people to mature discipleship in the Lord Jesus. And those in positions of authority need to know that they will have to give account for what they do. Now this isn't easy. And so when those in these positions are doing this, the author of Hebrews says that we should let them do this with joy and not with groaning because their work is hard and so let this guidance be done without it being difficult because it is hard work but when people receive this guidance it will bring joy to those in these positions of influence and as i said this is all really difficult work it's hard to be on both ends of this discussion it requires humility both for those in authority and those under authority. It means that those in leadership are doing due diligence to ensure that what is being taught is in conformity with the Word of God. It means that those who are being taught are diligent to put it into practice. And it's even more important that those who teach are putting it into practice themselves. And so this is a very humbling thing. If you're currently in a position such as this, or you've been in a position such as this, You have to know that this should give you pause to think about your position. What have I done to be diligent to know that the truth of God is being rightly divided? 
What am I doing to be diligent in conforming my life to the Word of God? And those are questions for each and every one of us. But they hold great gravity for those who are in positions of authority. And that is why the author of Hebrews asks for prayer here. As I've said, these verses are not commands for conformity with a because-I-said-so mentality. This is not like a situation where the older sibling is watching the younger ones. And I'm sure all the older siblings are feeling what I'm saying there, right? The younger ones, they understand, you're going to do this because I said so. That's not what's happening here in, in Hebrews. This is a situation that requires grace. It requires prayer. It requires love. We do these things because we are desiring to follow Christ more closely. And so you as leaders... You pray for those under your care. And those under this authority are faithfully lifting up those under shepherds of the good shepherd with prayer also. And because this is so hard, we pray that the Spirit would be at work through the power of the Word to convict us all of our sin and our unbelief. We pray that we would have a desire to repent and turn from our rebellious ways, that we might be a community of faith, that has a clear conscience and acts honorably in all things. And so let's just stop and take a moment to appreciate how difficult this is. As I mentioned, each of us on both ends of this are going to struggle to do it well. It's going to be a temptation to resist these words of Scripture and what they mean for us, but it's something that we must be faithfully pursuing so that we can be more faithful witnesses to Christ in our covenant community, in our families, and in our greater community as a whole. It's imperative that we hit our knees and pray for one another, that we might grow in holiness, that our witness might bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we move on to our second point, I want to talk about verse 19 before we get to this fantastic benediction that closes up the passage. There's this part, whoop, there we go, that tells us about something that's going on in this area. Now, we don't know the circumstances surrounding the author of Hebrews here, but we know that he is specifically asking for prayer. We also know that they have been with the people who are receiving this letter. The author of Hebrews clearly talks like he's been there with them, and so, considering what we know about what is going on, it's likely that the persecutions of some kind may be keeping the author of Hebrews away from the people that he's writing to. And so the author of Hebrews desires prayer that God might bring them together sooner. And the lesson for us here is to be diligent in lifting one another up in prayer and trusting that God is in control of the circumstances that we're in. And so we're called to lift one another up. And so may we do this trusting that God is caring for us all in our circumstances. And so this is what we have underlying what's going on here as we come to this well-known benediction in verses 20 and 21. See, this is the bow that ties up the whole book of Hebrews and everything that we've been learning here. This is the prayer that the author of Hebrews has for this group of people that he is being separated from. He trusts that God has them in his care. And notice how he refers to God. 
as the God of peace. Now they are experiencing temptations. They're experiencing persecution for us and our relatively comfortable lives. It doesn't seem like God is giving them peace here, does it? When we look at what they're experiencing in the midst of our comfortable lives, we would look at persecution, temptation to leave the faith. How is God a God of peace to them? But the author of Hebrews wants them to know that God is a God of peace. He has given them peace where it really matters. Even if there is turmoil in their lives, they have peace with God. The war that our sinful rebellion made with God is over. Why? Well, we've learned from the book of Hebrews that peace with God comes from the shed blood of Jesus. Remember all the Old Testament imagery that's been used in this book and the requirement of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Well, all of that has paid for our sin in the death of Jesus. And in his resurrection, we now have hope. His blood was shed. And this is a sign that we are in covenant with God. That's the language used all throughout the book of Hebrews, this idea of covenant. Well, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. But we, we don't use that word too often, do we? You don't walk around saying covenant uh, during the week. You probably don't mention it all. And so I want to throw in another word that, was maybe, that is maybe a little bit better in our modern parlance as we read this to help us better understand this idea. And that word that is similar to covenant is treaty. There is an agreement of peace between us and God. And the one who is victorious has set the details of this treaty. And we are the benefactors. So we have peace with God because this covenant, this treaty, has been made for the forgiveness of our sins and for our salvation. And notice the description that the one who enacted this treaty is given here. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He cares for his people. He laid down his life for his people. He is not a distant God or an absent Savior. He cares for us. He's a shepherd. And notice this is rooted in something. It's not an abstract idea. And you've heard me say many, many times, the love of God is not an abstract thing. When you hear the words, God loves you, it isn't that some ethereal being beyond the clouds is in that moment having a warm feeling about you. That's not what the love of God means. We know that God loves us because Jesus, our great shepherd, laid down his life for us so that we might have peace with God. The love of God is an objective fact. When we say God loves you, it is a truthful statement, an objective fact, because we can look to an event in history where that love was shown to us in Christ. We know the love of God, and we can be certain of it. And because of this, we can trust him. And the author of Hebrew trusts him as this benediction continues. He prays that the good shepherd would equip them with everything good that they may do his will. So why wouldn't we trust that our God of peace will do this? He has done everything to bring us to himself. And so we can trust that he is not going to abandon us now and leave us to our own devices. He is not sending you on a journey in your faith 
and not going to give you what you need to arrive at the destination. He does not call you to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples, and then he's going to say, you figure it out on your own. No, God is going to give us what we need. And so first, you've been blessed to be equipped with the gift of his word. You don't walk around telling people about God and what you're doing is telling them what you feel or what you think God is saying. You're you're guessing. There is no guessing here. We have his holy word. What a gift. We know what God has said. We know objectively that he has spoken in history and it it is in his infallible word. We have this gift to equip us. You don't have to speculate about what God is saying. You don't have to make it up on the fly. You know what God has said. He has spoken in history. His revelation for you is perfect, and it equips you to share the truth of the gospel. And secondly, you have been equipped with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of confusion in our day about what having the Holy Spirit means. We have connected it with a feeling or some sort of manifestation. But what does the New Testament actually tell us about what the work of the Holy Spirit is? It tells us that it is to convict the world of sin and unbelief. Now perhaps someone has suggested to you that you don't have the Spirit or don't have the Spirit fully because you don't exhibit some sort of outward sign. Now I'm going to be really blunt with you right now. Do not listen to that nonsense. That's what it is. It is patent nonsense. Do you have faith? Do you trust that God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, suffered and died for your sin, and that he rose again, that you might be made righteous in the sight of God? If you believe that, then you have the Holy Spirit. You can't believe apart from the Spirit's work in you. You would never trust in Christ for salvation apart from the work of the Spirit in you. And so, are you convicted of your sin? Does, God, does God's holiness cause you to seek his forgiveness? Then you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. That's the facts. You see, God has equipped you with his word and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the question I have for you is do you believe that that is sufficient? Or do you think you need something else? Do you feel like you don't have enough to be God's servant in his world? If we truly believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and in the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we are equipped, are we not? You are able to do the will of God because he is working in you if we are faithful to his word and trust that through it the Holy Spirit will be at work, we will do what is pleasing in his sight. Now we sweat, oh, we sweat over what the will of God is for our life. But I can tell you point blank what the will of God is for your life. And it's that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's will for your life. And that happens through hearing the word and letting it work in you. And when this happens, your desires will be conformed. They'll be shaped 
to desire to keep God's law. And you will desire to bring glory to him. And isn't that the greatest thing that you and I can do? Notice what the author of Hebrews has to say about Jesus. To whom be the glory forever and ever. And so when we seek to do the will of God, we bring glory to him. And he is going to be glorified forever and ever and ever. So we are doing something that has true, lasting, and eternal value. Our lives bring glory to the one who is to be glorified. And what greater purpose could you and I have? Now, other than a few verses that are left over here, they talk about listening to the words of the book, they talk about Timothy being released, but ultimately, this is where the book of Hebrews ends. And so with these truths that we have seen in mind, I want to think about what we can take from the book of Hebrews into the world this week. The first thing, that we are called to pray for our fellow believers. If you're in a position of authority, pray for those under your care. And we should all be lifting up those within the church, regardless of our position, because we need strength to live this Christian life. And we do not do this alone. This is not a solo thing that we are doing. We are called together to be God's church, to do this together. And if we're praying for one another, we're thinking of one another. We're lifting one another up. We're caring about what happens to one another. And so prayer is more than just about hoping that God will answer it. It's also about knowing one another more deeply and caring for one another more deeply and making our family a great priority. Because not only does God hear our prayers and answer, but we are blessed to remember one another and grow in caring for each other through our prayers. Secondly, trust that God has equipped you for everything good. And I think this is one of the greatest struggles that we have as believers. We don't believe we know enough. We think we don't have a certain gift. God has equipped you. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have the word. The things that you feel that you are not equipped for, you have in his word and in the Holy Spirit. The stuff that we're called to do isn't on you and on your ability. The word and the spirit do the work. We are simply called to be faithful in the proclamation of his word. Do you feel unequipped to disciple your children? Bring them the word and watch the spirit work. Don't feel confident sharing the gospel? Well, you know what it is. You know that Christ suffered and died for you. So share that. Say it. Believe it. You see, people don't come to faith because of the fancy way that someone says it. That's what we think. We think we have to dress it up and say it a certain way. That is not why people come to faith. People come to faith because the word is proclaimed and God works through means and the Holy Spirit regenerates them and brings them to faith in the Lord Jesus. That's how it works. So you know the gospel. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. Proclaim it and watch the Holy Spirit work. Trust that the Spirit will be at work. Don't put it on yourself. God never intended it that way. 
He intended to work through the means of your proclamation. So watch the Holy Spirit do the work. Trust that God has, in fact, equipped you to do this good work to bring him glory. And finally, this point is along the same lines, but I want to connect it to the whole book of Hebrews because we're finishing up here. Believe that God works all things together to bring his people to himself. Now think back on what we've learned in the book of Hebrews. The people receiving this letter were considering returning to the old covenant, abandoning the faith, but in this book, the author of Hebrews shows us how God was at work to use all that stuff in the old covenant to bring about Christ and the salvation that we have and to display the amazing mercy of God. We saw how the tabernacle and the temple displayed the holiness of God and our need for God's mercy. And we read how Jesus actually fulfilled in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, all that was required in the old covenant. And wasn't it a beautiful thing to observe? Don't the truths that we've seen here help us understand who God is and all that he has done to bring us to himself? God worked all this stuff together to show us his mercy and his grace and to bring us to faith. And so, if he's done all that, and he has, then we can trust that he will not abandon his people. He is the great shepherd of the sheep, and a great shepherd doesn't leave the sheep out in the field to fend for themselves. He loves you. He cares for you. And again, You can know this love because of what he's done. And we have seen on display in the book of Hebrews what he has done. His blood was shed for you. He bore the wrath of God for you. And if he was going to go through all of that, he is not going to abandon you. And so may you live in confidence as you go out into God's world. You can trust, you can know that through what he is doing, He is bringing glory to his holy name. And you are a means where that glory is manifested in his world. Amen.